Welcome into this edition of Football Americas on what is March 7th, 2022. This was actually supposed to be our one-year anniversary special, but given the horrific events that we witnessed on Saturday night in a Liga Mekis match between Querétaro and Atlas, there's really nothing for us here at Football Americas to celebrate. So instead, for the next half hour, 45 minutes, or however long it takes, we will be focused entirely on what happened at La Corregidora in Querétaro, and not just what the fallout will be for those involved, but also what the fallout will be across Mexican soccer. Let's start with what we know right now. We know that fighting between fans of Querétaro and Atlas broke out right at the hour mark as the two teams were playing at La Corregidora, Querétaro's home stadium, on Saturday night. Official reports have 26 people injured, three of them listed in critical condition. There are no official reports as of right now of any deaths. However, there are reporters in Mexico who are claiming that there were deaths in and around the stadium. As of right now, local authorities have announced that there are 15 arrest warrants out for those involved. However, as we go to air, almost 48 hours from the incident, as of what we know, no arrests have yet been made. You'll get our reaction in just a second, but first let's hear the reaction from Mexico over the weekend. Uno está avergonzado de esto sin ser eh, un protagonista de, de, de esta violencia. Estos barbajanes de Querétaro no es la primera vez. No había policías dentro del estadio. Este, tres personas de gallo, de la porra de gallos, nos quisieron atacar este, y nos, nos protegió el portero de gallos, de hecho. No, pero ahora no, nos hacen creer de que el fútbol es debido a muerte y el fútbol es, como se dice, lo más importante de, de lo menos importante. Datos oficiales indican que hasta este momento no tenemos fallecidos por los condenables hechos del día de ayer. Me parece que esto ya pasó en otras latitudes y como que el mensaje no nos queda claro. Sea cual sea la decisión que se tome, esto sea un parteaguas para que no vuelva a suceder un hecho así. Las barras, visitantes a partir de hoy, ya no van a poder ir a los estadios. Hoy chicos que, que vienen a entrenar con, con una lágrima, con el dolor de, de escuchar a su hijo decirle papá no quiero que vayas más o que juegues más a la pelota. No sería nada extraordinario que alguien llegara mañana y diga no quiero continuar. Nada extraordinario. El equipo está quebrado, emocionalmente está quebrado. Estamos. Es que crecimos y creemos en los valores del deporte. Por eso estamos todos acá juntos, porque queremos un fútbol sin violencia y en paz. Welcome into our studios. Herc, Seb, joining us for the special edition of Football Americas. Mauricio Pedrosa. Mauricio, uh, thanks for the time. Guys, uh, what a dark dark weekend. I know for all of us, both as members of the media, as Mexican-Americans, it's really hard to watch. Herc, I'll start with you. Just kind of your, your first thoughts uh, as you saw what you saw unfold on your television screens and on social media. Yeah, more on social media because what I saw on my television screen didn't really tell me what was going on. I was notified by Mauricio, who was actually watching the game. And as I, like everybody else at home, refreshed my timeline on social media and I saw these horrific acts unfold saw families fleeing onto the field, little kids holding onto their father's hands, a father take cover over his son because his son is wearing the rival jersey. Mm. As a father, it's, it's heartbreaking. But then it's, as I saw more and more detail, fans being beaten, left bloodied, in what looked like an act where they were leaving them naked. Mm as trophies. I've never seen anything like that in a football stadium revolving around a sport. I've seen that in organized crime, mm. but I've never seen that in a football stadium. It was jarring. Yeah, it's hard to overstate just how jarring the images were. I mean, that's how awful it was. Yeah, I was in shock. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, I couldn't believe what I was watching, and I tried to be as calm as possible because as Eric stated, I was watching the game and I heard the reports of the sideline reporter by 2DN, and he started to explain 
that something was going on. And we've all been in stadiums, and we've probably, sadly, been in stadiums where fights erupt, right? Fans fighting against each other. But we've never seen this before. I just, I just don't recall. And I try, because you go back and think, we had the hooligans in England, right? We had the start of Barra Bravas in South America. But those images that we saw coming out of Querétaro, I never thought that I would see those from a sporting event. And I was shocked again. I was saddened. I was very concerned because I had two friends that were at the stadium. One of them was working. We'll have him in a few minutes here giving his testimony on Football Americas. And to me, the worst part was realizing we lost control. Mm. I do not know if we can go back to normal. Yeah. I don't know if we ever are going to be back in Mexico, going to the stadium, feeling safe. Yeah. And that's the saddest part for me. I'm taken by the magnitude of it, and I'm with you. This feels like a kind of before and after moment. Yeah. You know, if you're talking to anybody who grew up in the United States around the turn of the millennium, and you say, I was doing this, but that was before 9-11. Right. You know exactly what they mean in that context. I think we're going to have conversations in 10, 20 years where you say, oh, but that was before Querétaro. That was before La Corregidora. I think it's kind of one of those seminal moments. Uh, to your points about the images, uh, we have never seen anything this bad come out of a soccer no. stadium. I'm not saying that things this bad have not happened in or around soccer stadiums. This was unique because there were thousands, if not tens of thousands of people with cell phone cameras documenting everything. And what I think the big takeaway for me is once you get 24, now almost 48 hours away from it, is those images are never going away. Those are going to be the images of Mexican soccer moving on for a long time, if not forever. Because as I sit here and I think to myself, what would it take to overcome those images? What would Mexico have to do on the international soccer stage to overcome the images that we saw at La Corregidora? Win three World Cups? create the best player of all time, all of that seems short. So, I don't even think it's about winning, you know, for, for, for people to forget. It's about these generations moving on and future generations mm. coming in and not realizing, not seeing that unfold themselves. That's the most difficult thing. It's, it's easy for somebody to tell you, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was so bad that I told my family members, don't watch. Yeah. I, I have to see because this is what I do for a living. What I told them, and I'm talking about adults, I'm not talking children, yeah. do not watch because those images will hunt us forever. And, and again, I believe there's no going back. Now, we have way to go here in the show to talk, uh, to talk about repercussions, mm -hmm. what needs to be done. One of the biggest questions was, why was that not done before? Mm. Why did we have to reach this point? Let's get to the response from Liga Mekis, at least in the, the hours since the tragedy. Uh, the first thing that we learned, Mikel Arriola, the president, told us that Barras, the supporters groups that are, are, are kind of known as, as I think, the, the central points in issues like this are banned from traveling to stadiums. We also found out today that Jornada Diez, the next match day in Liga Mekis, is going to go on as scheduled with the, maybe the possible exception of the Querétaro-Necaxa match, which is scheduled um, for Friday night. Uh, what did you make of the response? You've covered this league for a long time. I thought it was weak. I thought it was, I, I was ashamed because we all saw what was happening at the moment. And the fact that the other games went on, Monterrey, America, Puebla, Cruz Azul, the league had to, had to be stopped in that moment because there were no guarantees that how can we play on knowing what we knew at the moment? How could we play on while people were fighting for their lives? So I thought just the response, the first response was weak. And then the second response, which was, we're going to ban traveling support groups. I mean, the moment Mikel Arreola was giving that statement, right? Because he said, and I'm going to say this in Spanish, las barras. I thought he was going to say, are banned forever. Mm -hmm. But when he said, are not going to be allowed to travel, I was like, this guy doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. what, what benefit do we have from those Barras Barabas being in the stadiums. So I thought it was very weak. Is it, is it, Herc, a situation where Mexican soccer cannot afford to distance themselves from the Barras? Like, why not, do you think, ban this group entirely? That, that seems to have been an obvious step here that Ariola left on the table. 
It's a great question. I, I'm sorry to make you answer for that, but <laughs> no, I think no, you, no. you have probably the most in, uh, close contact with the Barras of any of the three of us Listen, here. Listen, I've been in situations with Barras as a footballer where they want a stipend. Mm. They want money. You know, they want to, you to help them with their travel. They want tickets. They always want something. Like, I'm sorry, they'll, they'll come to you as a player for this? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I've heard of situations, in, not just in Mexico, mm -hmm. in Greece, from fellow national team players where ownership groups are so tied into these barras, they mm -hmm. will allow them to come on to a team bus when a team isn't doing well and threaten the players. They use these barras to their convenience. Now, if I could briefly go back to why these games were played, because that's what everybody wants to know. Right. Why were these three other games played? Money, mm. the gate, the sponsorships, the, 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 TV. the TV deals, all this going on. They don't happen. These teams, and it's happened to be three of the biggest teams in Mexico, America, Monterrey, and Chivas, are going to lose money. Now, when all eyes are on Miquel Arriola, because he came on Football Picante on, this, on these airwaves and ESPN, Bandas, well, the animación, is yeah. that what he's calling them? Yeah. He wouldn't even say right. barras. He wouldn't say ultras. He wouldn't say hooligans. He would call them like he's, whatever he wants to make up to make them seem less dangerous than they really are. The reality is they shouldn't have in place. They shouldn't be opposing barras. It should be all barras. I want to add one more thing to that. We just have to go last week. What happened in Monterrey, mm. right? Another group of barra bravas outside of the training facility were stopping players and demanding that they got out of their cars and talk to them. We saw how many players were stopped by those barras, how many security members from the team came out and, and said, this is not happening. It, it didn't happen. What's the conversation, Mal? This can escalate. I yes. Mean, when, when, these, yes. when these barra exactly. members are drawing figures of their players and management's heads in coolers mm -hmm. and thinking that is okay, what do you think is going to happen? And we're at a critical moment, not only in the sport, because now we've, it's bled into everyday life. It's mm -hmm. bred into society. It's bred into the president of Mexico making declarations, you know, talking about what's going on, governors, uh, presidents of municipalities, mayors. It, it's trending worldwide. You can no longer ignore it. They've been trying to ignore these things. You can no longer ignore it. Uh, as we kind of focus our scrutiny here on individuals, I think there's two names that are probably key. One we've mentioned, Miquel Arriola, right? The president of Liga Mekis. The other um, is Adolfo Rios, who's the president of Querétaro. Uh, Mexican fans will know him, longtime player with America and briefly with the, with the national team as well. I was taken aback, Mao, when I saw Adolfo Rios come on this network on ESPN Deportes and start giving what was basically a medical update on the victims who were Atlas fans. That felt like a dark and wholly unnecessary PR exercise. And I can't in, for any good reason understand why the sporting director of a club would be giving us that information. I wonder what you think of what we've seen from Rios and also from Ariola. Well, I'm gonna start with Adolfo Rios. I think he's just a team employee and he was made the non-official uh, non spokesperson, right? We reached out to both team owner, team's president, and both directed us to Adolfo Rios. So now, unofficially, is like, he's the face of the team, and right. he's going to be the one speaking. I agree with you. I don't believe that's his spot. Uh, that being said, I believe he said what he had to say, and he acted the way he had to act. I don't think he had much leeway to act in any way different. Now, and we are actually right now seeing during the brawl, Adolfo Rios uh, coming down from his uh, box and just trying to assess the people that were in the middle of chaos. At least I'm going to give him credit for that. He shouldn't be doing that. That's supposed to be someone from security, right? Police officers, not team's general manager. And from Mikel Arriola, I think he took too much time uh, figuring out what was going on. Mm. I don't know if he had to consult with John De Luisa, the president of the uh, Mexican Federation. He was actually traveling to Europe when all this was going on. But I saw a lack of leadership that was very, very concerning because he, it's, he, it's, it's on his powers to stop well, the league and makes, make tougher decisions. And he just didn't do it. Wow, Seb, it makes you wonder who's really running this. Exactly. If, well, we all know who's running the show. <laughs> If Miguel Arriola, amidst everything going on, can't make an executive decision, like, oh, this has mm -hmm. gone far enough, cease operations, we're done. 
and then I'll talk to the owners because we know how Liga Mekis operates. It's 18 owners who make decisions for the league and the federation. Yeah. Uh, there's also probably something to be said for the buck always does stop at the end of the day on the president's desk, right? And, and if you look at this, there were, there were reasons to be worried about this, not one of which that I think we haven't really touched on too much is there was violence even before this happened in this match. So whatever protocols the league has to deal with fan violence were clearly either ignored or if they were in place, they were not adequate. They're really not adequate. You can't ha have something happen in the first half that escalates to something in the second half. I mean, you had your warning. But, but I what, think it's what, clear. what protocols? I, mean, I was looking at these protocols, right, earlier today. And it states for every 100 fans in attendance, they recommend mm -hmm. two security officials, not police, two security officials, private, whatever they want, two. Yeah. Two versus 100. The stadium has capacity for 35,000 mm -hmm. fans. They only had barely, maybe 600. Is that really going to stop a brawl? You saw the videos, you saw the pre-roll we just put out. There were security guards on their phones. Mm. There was a goalkeeper literally telling one of the guards, like, are you not going to go up to the stands and stop this? And the guards, eh. what, what is going on that they think in a game with already a history of violence. This isn't the first time these two fan bases have clashed. Already a history of violence, yeah. these two. It's called a high-risk game. A high-risk game that something like this would not happen. Mm. That, uh, that leads me to believe that this just didn't happen out of the blue. This leads me to believe that there was more going on behind the scenes. That it was orchestrated. That it was orchestrated. And, and, and it's not me saying it, right? It's actually the governor of the state of Jalisco, Atlas, place in Guadalajara. Guadalajara belongs to the state of Jalisco. The governor said that all indications are that, that this was uh, uh, pre-planned, that there was orchestrated. And uh, for many years, we wondered, right, why were teams in control of this Barras? Well, now I believe Barras mm. are in control of the clubs. And the bigger question now is, who's controlling those Barras, right? Because it's, it's clearly someone who shouldn't be allowed in a soccer stadium anywhere in the world, not only in Mexico. What about the decision to return to play as early as Saturday? Um, I'll ask you first because you're, you're a player, right? So imagine being an active Liga Mekis player right now. Um, what would that be like? Would you be comfortable playing a game seven days after what we saw happen? So part of me is thinking this is my job. This is what I have to do. The other part of me is thinking I'm a father. Like I'm, I'm seeing those images right now and I, I couldn't imagine being on the field and thinking, where's my wife? Mm. Where are my kids? Where are my family members, my friends? Like, what is going on? Like, could they be in trouble in some of this, for lack of a better word, crossfire? You know, could they be in the crosshairs or something? It, it's, it's sickening to think, like, you still got to go out there and perform. Yeah. All eyes are on you right now. And if you don't, it's a breach of contract. Like, how, how, how dumb is that? You feel like you're not safe and you're a player, like your family's not safe and you're a player. You're supposed to be the entertainment. That's the worst part of this is we could talk here about on a social level how Mexico is as a country, all these different things. It's a beautiful country. And for 90 minutes, you could escape whatever's going on and go into refuge here. And you can't even do that anymore. What about the fan perspective, Mal? Like, would you go to a game seven days after what we just saw? Well, just, that's what Liga Mekis is asking their yeah, fans to do now. Just gathering from social media reaction, and we all know social yep. media is not real life, but at least that's what we have. Mm -hmm. uh, I was very surprised to, to, to see how fans were also asking the league to stop playing because they also do not feel safe, right? right. Uh, I, you, you have kids. I do look, not look have that, kids. Look at, image. look at the banner, that's, right? That's, right before the game. That's supposed to be the motto of uh, Liga MX. We're, we're playing, uh, grita por la paz, right? Uh, Yell for peace. peace. Yes. Yell for peace. peace. Um, as a fan, how can I go back and enjoy 90 minutes of soccer while also be concerned, worry about what may happen in the stands? And here's why. Because Adolfo Rios, in that very same interview with ESPN, said something that uh, it hasn't really been, uh, you know, talked much about, but I thought it was very concerning. He said, this time it happened to us. Mm. It can happen to 
any other team in, Me in, in Mexico. So what is he saying? He's saying that this thing that got out of control just happened to be in Querétaro and that Barras as as powerful in many other cities, teams in Liga MX, that's very concerning. And, and the fact that a league executive is saying this publicly makes me believe that no one's safe attending a soccer game in Mexico. Listen, Seb, I don't, I don't want to go fear-mongering here, but what Mauricio is saying, and if, what he's saying about it, it being orchestrated, it sure looked like that. Yeah. In the videos we had seen, it looked like these fans were ambushed from all angles. Yeah. Now, if it is orchestrated, well, then what Adolfo Rios is saying makes sense. If you're a fan of another team, you don't want to take your family somewhere you don't yeah. feel safe. Seb. Especially with Barras still allowed in the grounds. I mean, exactly. that's, that's the reality we're operating under, isn't it? That's what it is, Seb. I mean, you've been a longtime Mexican fan. America. And people always say, well, what if it happened to America? Mm. You're an America fan. If it happened to America, how safe would you feel going to Estadio Azteca? I think the answer would be how safe anybody right now would it feel. It has happened before. Safe. Remember, I wouldn't feel. America, they, uh, the team recognizes, right? Admits that they have two very powerful uh, ultras, yeah. right? La Monumental y el Ritual del Caos. They have clashed before. They've had issues before. The team actually, uh, I was a reporter, this is probably 2007. The team banned El Ritual del Caos because they were very aggressive. And they went to the statement just to create, that's their name, El Ritual de, del Caos. They were there to create chaos. The so chaos. the fact that home teams are still allowing ultras, home ultras in their stadium, how, how is this a solution? Yeah. How is this going to change things? I think, if anything, it tells us that, at least as of right now, these groups have quite a significant stranglehold um, on Mexican soccer. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Our next guest on this special edition of Football Americas is Emmanuel Macias. He's a television and radio reporter from Mexico based out of Querétaro, and he was at La Corregidora on Saturday. Emmanuel, thanks so much for the time. Great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Sebas, Mau, Hercules, it's, it's a pleasure for me to be with you uh, from Mexico, from Querétaro. All right, let's get to uh, what happened on Saturday night. I'm just curious to get your first-hand perspective of what happened in the minutes both immediately before the fighting erupted between Querétaro and Atlas fans and then afterwards. Yeah, Sebas, I, I am a reporter from a, a national radio station here in, in Querétaro, in, in Mexico, since the last since the last season, and well, every every game of, of Querétaro, I am on the right side of the Querétaro's bench in every game, and well, in the first half, everything seems to be normal. The the group of fans are just are just singing at each other, just words, any any aggression, any anything of that, but in the second half. About the 60 minute, the 60 minute, um, I start to see a fighting in the in the zone of the Gallos fans' seats. But uh, the fight was each other. But I turn around the view uh, to the other stand, the south stand, and I I see that it was a fight between the rivals, uh, fans of Gallos and fans of Atlas. In, in my reporting, I say that something was wrong and start to, to, to take the risk about what will happen in the next minute. So I turn around again in the corners of the field. In the, in the corners, I start to see a group of people, a group of fans of Atlas and, and Querétaro. But in the first, in the first scene, it seems to be uh, uh, people that just, just, keep safe, just want to keep safe for the, for the fightings in the, in the, in the stands. But in that moment, I think, was the inflection point when the group of fans that wants to fight have the opportunity to invade, literally invade the field and, and start 
all the all the discontrol, all the the violence. I I, I have seen image that I I think I will never I will never see uh, see again. I I go to the Corregidoria Stadium since I was a kid, but I never I never imagined to to lift what happened last last Saturday. And the, the violence was was cruel. You can see in the in the media, in the social media, all the videos that that came from. Uh, Emmanuel, you being there, when did you realize that it was not your typical, and it's probably the not not the right word, but we've seen fights every once in a while, fans losing control. But when did you realize this was different? Yeah, it's just it's just that moment that I, that I told you in the in the in the 16 minute. Normally, as you say, there was only one fight and, and the elements of security just separate them and, and that's all. But that was incredible. That was out of, of my mind. It, they, were, they were a lot of fightings, a lot of fights in the different sectors of the stadium. That moment is, is when I, I realized that, that that was not normal. And I told in my, in my reporting that something, something wrong are happening. We have we have been living in the stadium some fights before, but never never like the like the Saturday in the afternoon in the stadium. That was the moment when I see some points of the stadium with fights and nobody nobody trying to put order. Mm. Emmanuel, that's where I want to get to. Uh, you were on you were in the field field level, and fans were fleeing the field in safety. I mean, they must have been worried for their lives. At what point did you see, if any, security? Where was security in all this? Yeah, the, the security protocol. Um, it means that um, about the about six uh, six hundred elements of security. About in private security, state police and local police. That was all the elements of security that in in the stadium. But it was some uh, something something rare because all the police are out of the stadium, nor inside of the stadium. I mm. think the protocol was prepared for the fights outside of the stadium, mm -hmm. not inside. That was, but that's what what happened. Emmanuel, we're getting a lot of talk, rumors that Querétaro could be banned um, from Liga Mekis. You're there in Querétaro. What are the fans saying about the future of their team and, and what it might hold? Are they worried that they might lose Gallos Blancos forever? Yeah, the feelings are, are, are many. Um, of course, the people that, that me, for example, I'm from here, I'm born here in Querétaro, we are ashamed for what happened, mm -hmm. of course. And that's one of the feelings. Uh, we are ashamed for what happened, the, the, the people that were, that were hurt. But also, it's sad. It's sad to think that we, we, won't, we won't have a team for the rest, maybe for the rest of our lives, because they say that the, the, the team will be banned for the rest, or for a long time at least. So it's, it's, it's an environment of sadness. Of course, people are angry because... For a group of fans, or if you want to call it fans, mm. for that fans, we, we will pay a lot of people. The fans, my colleagues, the, that we are reporters, that we are press, also also affect to us, the families. It's, 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 it's a lot beyond the, what happened this Saturday, beyond the, this group of fans that we call Barras. Emmanuel, we really appreciate your time and, more importantly, your invaluable perspective in this matter. Thank you so much, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again soon on Football Americas under very different circumstances. Thanks to you, Sebas, Mao, Hercules. I send you a, a real regards from, from Mexico and, and from Creta. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
All right, so here's a statement from CONCACAF on the matter. The shocking acts of vandalism and violence that occurred last night in Querétaro, Mexico, have no place in football or society. The thoughts of everyone at CONCACAF are with their victims of these awful events and their families. CONCACAF wholly condemns these types of behaviors. We call on the local authorities to fully investigate these criminal acts and to hold accountable those who have tarnished our game. The Confederation also believes that strong football sanctions must be applied and will provide any necessary support to the FMF and Liga MX as they investigate that. From CONCACAF, let's take it up a level to FIFA. Here's what FIFA had to say. FIFA is shocked at the tragic incident that took place at La Corregidora Stadium in the city of Querétaro during the fixture between Querétaro and Atlas. The violence was unacceptable and intolerable. FIFA joins the Mexican Football Association and CONCACAF in condemning this barbaric incident and encouraging the local authorities to bring swift justice to those responsible our thoughts are with all those who suffered its consequences. All right, gentlemen, so now may be a good time to discuss the possible sanctions for Querétaro as a club. Now, what we do know is that Tuesday, tomorrow, there's an emergency meeting of Liga Mekis owners. We expect some of Querétaro's fate to be decided then. What do you think that fate should be? Uh, what I think it should be is uh, Querétaro has no place in Mexican soccer anymore. They just show the lack of control, they're not prepared to be a Primera División team. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think it will send a message, right? Because the images that we saw had no precedent in the history of Mexican soccer. So the punishment probably has to be unprecedented as well. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Reports are that there is a very strong group of owners that are pushing for the uh, disaffiliation of Querétaro from uh, La Liga MX, I believe that's what happened. Because people are now saying, hey, what about the under-20 teams? Mm. What about the women's team? What about the under-17 teams, the academy? Well, what about the people that almost lost their lives, right? So if you cannot, as an ownership group, guarantee the security, the safety of your fans, of players, of staff, then you shouldn't own a professional soccer team in Mexico. What do you think, Herc? I'll start off with the statements from CONCACAF and, and FIFA that, to me, are very weak. Yeah. It feels like a washing of the hands, or at least a, a quick distancing, right? Quick distancing is a, is a very good term. That's what it is right there. So, very weak. I, I've gone through this a bunch of my head. Mao just mentioned the U-20 team, the U-17 team, the Fuerzas Básicas, mm -hmm. the community that depends on this team, the women's team, a whole town, city propped up on this corporation because it's a brand. It's not just a team, it's a brand. All those people that depend on this team. But after what we've seen, mm -hmm. I don't see how you can't vote to kick them out of Mexican football. If it means... Querétaro is out of Mexican football, so we never see anything like this again. I'm okay with you. You talk about these jobs. In any, jo in any business, any line of work, you're out of a job, you go find a job. There's a fianza, okay? There is money that the Federation has for these teams mm -hmm. in case anything like this happens. So they can pay off the players, all those involved. Give them their money, allow them to be free agents and find a different line of work. But the ownership group, of Querétaro, of Gallos, should never be tied mm. around Mexican football again. One of the owners, one of the investors in Querétaro is an American by the name of Greg Taylor, mm -hmm. who also happens to be an agent. Yep. He also happens to have his hands in other teams with other players and coaches. And that's if that's not obvious conflict of if interest. If that's not yeah. a conflict of interest, so you're, st you're starting off bad. From the ownership group to the way that Querétaro became a first division team, having to buy their promotion, because that was Chiapas. That, was, that wasn't Querétaro's. If, if you do kick Querétaro out forever, right, you, you set a precedent. And to your point, it's a precedent that I think would send a very strong message. But I can't help but think, especially what you just mentioned about Adolfo Rios, that this could have happened anywhere. So what if this had happened at Azteca? Or what if this had happened at a Chivas match? I mean, those are the two, or Tigres, or Rayados, or any of the big, big brands of Mexican football. Do you think that kicking them out forever would still be on the table? Or is this because it's Querétaro? It's because it's Querétaro. It'd never be enough. If this had happened to America, Pumas, Chivas, we wouldn't be having this conversation to kick the team out of the league forever. Right. But I think there's also different context to that, right? Because we, I, I personally spoke 
about my experience with Club America and how they handled having two barras, not only one, two ultras, right? And how they handled the situation. Apparently, they did what the Federation asked them to do and they, and they were able to control the problem right on the spot. Now, can this happen to another team like Atletico de San Luis? Yeah, it might happen, yeah. right? And, and, and we don't question the ownership group, right? Because the owners, they are Atletico de Madrid, one of the most respected institutions in world soccer. So I do understand that this is, this is Querétaro. This is not the strongest team. And that's why we believe it's, quote unquote, easier mm-hmm. to punishment this hard. Now, that precedent you're talking about, if they kick Querétaro out, if it happens to an Americo Chivas, certainly you must do the same. Is right. exactly why I no feel doubt it no won't doubt. happen. Yeah. Right. You, it's exactly. So why what do you I think feel, we'll get? Maybe a ban for the rest of the season. I think we're going to get a, 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 a Querétaro Corregidora ban for the rest of the year. This ownership group will have to sell. They'll probably give them a six-month, uh, you know, timetable term to sell, and then they will be out of Mexican soccer. Out of Mexican soccer, I should say, because I don't think that people will forget. You mentioned the big team, Jorge Vergara. May he rest in peace. Before he passed away, was one of the only owners mm-hmm. that was a proponent in trying to eliminate these barras from Mexican football. The owner of the biggest, arguably the biggest brand in Mexican football's history doesn't want the ultras, doesn't want the barras. Why? That You have to take a look at that. And why are the other owners shying away from this? Yeah. Um, if there's one thing I don't want to see in this resolution, um, look, that we, we just heard from Emmanuel. Like the people of Querétaro who love this team are, are, may lose this team. And, and that might be the just thing to happen based on how serious it was. What I would hate to see is the owners that you guys are talking about then allowed to sell this franchise, money. make their money back, while the people of Querétaro lose their team because the, you know, these owners couldn't properly run a fr- franchise. Uh, that, to me, would be a, a horrific shame. So I heard from one executive earlier today, and I asked him, what do you think is going to happen, how the owners see uh, tomorrow's meeting going, uh, uh, going down. And he said, one of the, it's, it's, it's hard to make that decision, right? Because there's a lot of money involved. There's TV money involved. There are contracts that are involved, player contracts, staff contracts. He said one of the solutions is, yes, forcing the owners to sell the team and banning the city, the state of Querétaro, to having a professional team for five or 10 years. Mm. Even if that happens, I do believe as a federation, as a league, you have, you have to let them know that if this happens again anywhere else, this is what the punishment looks like for those who cannot control or to take the measurements that are needed in order to have a professional I, team nowadays. Seb, one of the reasons I think you won't see something like a team getting kicked out is because I feel these owners have no idea how to protect the stadiums, have mm. no idea what can happen next, have no idea or had no idea how much of a stranglehold, as you put it, these barras had on these teams. Mm. So They don't want to set that precedent themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about Querétaro. We focused on the club. Let's maybe go a little bit bigger picture now and kind of what this could mean for Mexican soccer as a whole. And there's two examples here that I want to draw from, right? 2012 in Egypt, the Port Said Stadium disaster. The Egyptian League didn't play for the next two years after that. We go back to 1985, final of the European Cup final, violence between Liverpool and Juventus fans. Not just Liverpool. All English teams were banned from European continental competition for five years. So if I'm a Mexican soccer fan, and I don't care at all about Querétaro, I'm still waking up this week very, very worried. Because if you think about those precedents, and then you think of everything that Mexico has to potentially lose in the coming years in terms of qualifying for the 2022 World Cup, hosting the 2026 World Cup, this could be disastrous, not just for Querétaro, for all of Mexican soccer, Mal. Do you have that FIFA statement? I do, yes. Is there anywhere in that statement where it says that, and FIFA will conduct a thorough investigation to go to the root of the problem and punish whoever needs to be punished? No. Not there. I don't think, I don't, I don't think either CONCACAF or FIFA are going to take any sort of measure mm. on Mexican soccer. Should they? Yes, I believe they should. Whoa. Will they? I don't think they will. Hold on a second. Do you know when these owners start paying attention? Money? When their wallets are mm. in yeah. danger. We'd have to be very naive to think that there isn't a possibility that FIFA may say, wait a second, we may lose this Sodas brand. We may lose this 
photo company, we may lose this other multi-billion dollar sponsor. You're saying because these sponsors wouldn't want to be associated with an event in Mexico because yes. of what happened. Yeah. Now, you have to be very naive to think that's not a possibility. Will it happen? I don't know. I'm not saying that. But you, pick, you just put into question two different events, okay? Mm -hmm. One very strong footballing nation. How many years for England? Five. Five, five years. years. Six years for Liverpool, five years for the rest of the English. You're players. not taking a World Cup out of a country that's all by themselves. Right. There's already two hosts along with Mexico, yeah. Canada and the United it's States. It's easy. It's, it's easy very easy way. for them to pull the plug. I'm not saying it'll happen. Well, you'd have, we'd have to be very naive to think they wouldn't seriously consider it. Third largest audience, third largest fan base at every World Cup is Mexico, right? First largest fan base, local fan base. Second largest fan base, Brazil, always. Third largest fan base, it's Mexico. Mexico means dollars for FIFA, for CONCACAF. I'm not saying that's the right way to go. I'm just putting right. facts, right? right? And why I believe because of those statements that you just read, and you question, and I am with you 100%, I also question those statements because I also believe they're washing their hands and it's up to you. There's nothing there that tells me that either CONCACAF or FIFA are gonna go hard on Mexican soccer. Maybe it's because of business, or maybe it's just because they say, that's a local issue, that's yeah. not on us. We have the World Cup coming in 2026. There's some stuff happening before that. We got a CONCACAF Champions League game this week between Montreal and Cruz Azul. That has to be dealt with. Can you read the Major League Soccer statement on that, please? Uh, I don't have one yet what do you from mean? Major League Soccer. Did they not put out a statement? We'll get to the MLS Liga Mekistai um, in just a second. There's also the CONCACAF W Championship happening in Monterrey in the summer. Um, and for a lot of our fans, there's the USA-Mexico game happening in 17 days. Um, you know, I know you have like fans sliding literally into your DMs right now asking you, is it safe to go? What are you telling them? I don't know. What, this is the worst part about this discussion because... You don't want to be a fear monger. I don't want to be a yeah. fear monger, and I hate the way the rhetoric is going with this. Okay? It's getting xenophobic. Yeah. Agreed. It, uh, just if I can give you an example, uh, just so, so we don't go down that line and not kind of identify it. The word Mexicans was trending on right. Twitter in the United States on Saturday night, and it was a lot of vitriol. Believe me when I say the best part of Mexico isn't its beaches. It's not these beaches where you guys go tour, where you guys go on vacation, you go your spring break. That's not the best part. It isn't the pyramids that you see. It isn't the food that you love. The best part about Mexico is its people. And these people are suffering. And these people are being depicted in a manner that is not just. A few have ruined everything for the masses. Mm. It's happening again. And these, this xenophobic rhetoric online, in the media, by fans, it's sickening. But when you have fans literally DMing you, asking if you think, because you played in Mexico, because right. you're a former U.S. men's national team player, it's safe for them to go to El Estadio Azteca, to be in Mexico City. Like, it's got me questioning things. It's got me, like, to my core shook, like, how do I answer this? You know, how do I respectfully answer, right. yes, I think it's safe. You want to be honest with them, right. but you don't want to paint Mexico in a bad light. But what's happened in Querétaro paints Mexican soccer in a bad light. To... I don't think there's any way to avoid that when, when we're talking about, you know, I know it's a different, it's a different competition, it's different teams, but... It is the Mexican national team. It is in Mexico. I, I think some of the fears that these people are, are sharing with you are valid. Are valid. I want to go to the other side of it and say this. Uh, I do not have an answer for that question. Right. Is it safe? I don't know. I do not know the protocols. I'll say from my experience, right? From my experience, it is safe. And we, hey. are, all, we are all planning to go right. down yeah. there and cover the game. And I want to give... The Mexican Federation, I want to give Mexican soccer the benefit of the doubt. I want, to, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they learned their lesson. They realized that they were not taking this seriously. Because, Herc, Sebi, in the back of our heads, we probably had this image of something like that happening in Mexican soccer. We just probably didn't want to believe it, right? Yeah. We, we, we probably said, this is not going to happen here. We've seen this other place. It's not going to happen here. Well, it finally happened, people. We got to wake up. So I, 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 I have to expect our executives to wake up and from now on, making the stadiums, 
making the local rivalries, the international rivalries, a safe environment for the fans. Mm-hmm. I want to give them the benefit of well, the that's, doubt, that's, but that's I don't what, have an answer for that. That's what I'm getting at when I speak about the World Cup, and don't be so naive. We can't be so naive. It, it, it's, if FIFA can't guarantee the safety, safety of its consumers, mm-hmm. of the tourists, of the fans in its tournaments, then it shouldn't be hosting a tournament. Now, what we just seen, I don't think we will ever see again. I pray that we don't. I pray that we and, don't. And, and immediately, like right now is a time where the Mexican Federation, Liga Mexican, yeah. is under the microscope. Yeah. You know? It has to be now where you should feel the safest. So, um, kind of the last string here that I think ties Liga Mekis to the American audience um, is Major League Soccer. And we've seen the two leagues combine so much over the years. It's almost like a pseudo-merger. And we know in 2023 we're getting the new expanded um, Leagues Cup. Do you think what happened Saturday night in any way puts that in jeopardy? Absolutely. Yeah? You've got business owners, multi-billionaires as owners in Major League Soccer. Corporations, different teams, different sports, what have you, who know exactly where they invest their money and who they are in bed with. You don't think they're seeing this and going, wait a second, Don, you want me to do what? Yeah. Yeah. Should we not rethink this? You seen the images come out here? I know they're saying, I know they're saying there's no casualties at the moment. I know that's what they're saying, but these videos that I'm seeing are very hard to ignore. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing right now. Yeah, it seems like it could be something for sure that gives at least folks on the MLS side mouse and pause. Or at least it gives them some sort of leverage to just whenever this kind of relationship moves to a next level, right, to to a next stage, how are we going to handle games? Uh, We're not going to go play down there. If you want to be in this relationship, you're going to have to come and play here. Uh, you, You guys have heard me many times saying that to me this is like two people dating, right? So novios, Major League Soccer and Liga MX, and, and, and I've always believed uh, they are approaching marriage, right? Like, like to formalizing their union. And this is probably a big, big hurdle to consummate that union. I think it's gonna happen. I do believe at the same time though that Major League Soccer now is entitled to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And not only to ask questions, but to demand answers from Liga MX because if they're gonna go into a deeper relationship, well, if I'm, if I'm an owner, Leave alone an owner. If I'm a major league soccer player, right, after seeing this, do I want to go down there and play knowing that my safety, my family's safety, my team's safety is not guaranteed? The answer is no. Again, just like I said with FIFA and CONCACAF, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to the Mexican Federation and Liga MX that they are going to learn their lesson and this is not going to happen again. Do we have any guarantees for that? No, we don't. But at least that's what I expect from them. When these two leagues have talked about doing business together, they've often talked about sharing best practices. This is probably a moment for Major League Soccer with their, I would assume at this point, much more advanced security protocols um, to step up and share that, those best practices with Liga MX because it's clear that the Mexican League um, needs help in that area. Let's get back to some of the reaction from around the world. And, of course, we know there are Mexicans playing um, all over the place. They were obviously paying attention to this. Edson Alvarez, the Mexican international, playing for Ajax on Sunday. There you can see where we got the idea for the shirts we're wearing. Uh, no mas violencia, no more violence. Uh, Herc, that was, right, the inspiration for, uh, for yeah. you making, having these shirts made today? The, the best six in CONCACAF inspired this idea. And, and see, seeing the way that when you leave home, you think about home. Yeah, yeah. What must be weighing on their minds right now, you know? These are scenes from Peru ahead of the Clásico de Lima between uh, Sporting Cristal and Alianza Lima, a moment of silence for the victims of Saturday's violence uh, in Querétaro. And uh, so let's um, kind of wrap things up here with an acknowledgement, and that is that as of right now, there's been no reports of death um, in or around La Corregidora, the stadium, um, from official channels. Now, there have been reports from journalists in Mexico claiming that in one case as many as 17 people passed away Saturday night in Querétaro. There's obvious reasons for doubt. There is skepticism about the fact that, that we keep hearing from, especially Liga MX officials, no one has died or no one has died yet. Why do you think that skepticism is there, Mao? 
Oh man, well, just because of what we saw, right? And, and none Is of it us- Is just down to the videos, kind of the graphic? It's hard to see those and believe that people survived? That's number one. Number two is just hearing from people on the ground, like we heard from Emmanuel, and how we have been hearing from even uh, ultras that were, Atlas ultras that were interviewed after the chaos finally settled down. Some of them admitting that they had lost uh, friends and, 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 and also fans. So I think it all comes from what we saw and also from past experiences, right? Yeah. How government officials have handled similar situations. Yeah. It would be very irresponsible from a journalistic point of view just to contradict those reports. Right. Because we do not have that information and we're not going to make that mistake. No. But hearing from what we've heard from people on the ground, I think we at least have the right to, act, to, to wait to wait for the government and the officials have to say in the end. But, I mean, what we saw, uh, it would be a miracle if no one died. That's I what I would say. I don't consider myself a journalist. Right. I, I talk about sport. I, I talk about what my eyes see. It's very difficult to see those images, to see those videos, to hear the testimonies, mm -hmm. and not feel like maybe those numbers aren't true. It's even more difficult given the history of the Mexican people and the government. Mm -hmm. Now, what I mean by that, there seems to be a distrust with the number of deaths in Mexico's history with a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, just, so, you know, because we, we go down that road, let's, let's be specific. I mean, you can go back to the 1960s. Um, there were, like... Uh, Incidents of violence from yeah. the government to students Student that, massacre were, in 1968. That, were that were underreported. Yeah, exactly. um, you can go more recently violence against journalists. You can go yeah. more recently Femme violence right. against activists. Against women. Um, and, and in these cases, the reports from both national and oftentimes local government is to um, not report it or, or undersell it or misrepresent the numbers. So that doubt of the Mexican yeah. people Even is... Even the COVID is, deaths is that they manipulated that right. aren't... Yes. They said died of something else. There's, so there's, there's an evident lack of trust with yeah. the Mexican people and the government. So there is a reason a majority of people are skeptic about the numbers. There, there's also this focus on um, kind of what feels to me like a gross technicality, which is to say no one died at the stadium or no one has died yet. Yeah. Right? We, we keep hearing it. And it's almost like they're making a point to say it. Um, you have studied law in Mexico, Mount. Why, why would it matter? Why, why would those seemingly insignificant details of where somebody might die. Why would that matter? It has to do with civil and criminal liability. Uh, and, and I checked this with the source as well, uh, just trying to find out how information was going to be handled, right? When this first report came out that 17 people had died, obviously the number shocked us, right? And you're trying to find answers. And, and someone said, listen, if someone dies inside or around the stadium, it's not going to be reported that they died in, uh, inside those premises, right? You will hear that if, if that's, that's are reported, right? If those deaths will be reported that happened at the hospital. Same thing happens, for, for example. Does that keep the clubs and the league kind of out 100%, of the... 100%, but it's a different right. kind of responsibility if that happens inside your premises or at the hospital. Mm. The liability, civil and criminal, are different. That's legal. I think, you know, it's, it's very much a detail, right? Yeah. I mean, whether someone has died or died yet, um, people's lives were like irreversibly changed for the worse from what we saw. Yeah, there are people who will not come out of this the same person they were before. And that enough, I, I don't think it matters kind of like where you draw that line. The line is at violence, not necessarily at death. Exactly. That's, that, to me, that's very, very important because when people say, well, no one died. Hmm. Well, it's not that someone has to die in order to demand change, exactly. right? In order to demand better practices. So, uh, yeah, I think the way you put it, it's just, just the right way to go at it. Her I don't know how much more I can add to that. I mean... You don't have to see a death or hear about a death to evoke change. 
the images of families fearing for their lives, I mean, are heartbreaking. The image of a father hand in hand with his wife and their two kids and him instructing the little boy to take his jersey off so he doesn't get beaten by a rival, that should be enough to evoke change, not a death. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Uh, just incredibly sad scenes. It's not the first time, though, unfortunately, that we've seen this uh, around Mexican soccer. Let's do a, a kind of unfortunate flashback here. This is 2011 Morelia um, against Cruz Azul. Yeah, and just to be very, very clear, uh, none of this compares to what we saw on Saturday, but violence, violence starts in different places, and, and we have to condemn every sign of violence. It was during a playoff, Liguilla yeah. match between Cruz Azul and Morelia. Here's a 2014. This is a cup game between San Luis and Tigres. Were you with Tigres at this time, Hurt? Uh, you just left? I, no, no, or no. Just I not gotten there just yet. Got there the next there season. It was, that's when the Tigres fans came to San Luis, right? That was the year before, yeah. This yeah. was a consequence of the Tigre invasion yeah. at the San Luis Stadium. There was a retaliation bad by the San Luis fans a year later. So that was 2014-2015, uh, San Luis against Tigres. Oh, no, this is uh, Atlas Chivas in 2015. I, I, was, yeah. I was in Mexico, still playing at this moment. I, I recall this. To me, the worst part came after the game. Yeah. The incidents outside of, of, of the stadium were, were very jarring. And, yeah. Actually, after this incident is when Jorge Vergara pledged to get rid of uh, exactly. the ultras. Yeah. And then here, this is the Clausura 2016, uh, Santos and Tigres. Yeah, it's so close in proximities. Uh, it's insane. Like, what are you doing? It's, it's a football game. Yeah, I mean, the images of violence, uh, they were the most extreme See, just ever... one police officer, you see that? Yeah. That's, I mean, how does that still happen in Mexico after all this precedence? So here we are, uh, 2017, Veracruz, uh, and again, Tigres. Yeah, I, listen, I've been to that stadium. It's an uncomfortable stadium to play. Uh, you get rained on with a lot of different type this of things. This is uh, Pirata Fuente, no? Yeah, 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 Luis Pirata Fuente. That's when Duca Ferretti got involved, remember? Yep. Gignac. Gignac. Yes, exactly, with the crowd. Tigre is now a very well-traveled team, too. So we saw the uh, Clásico Tapatio. What about the Clásico Regio? Some violence here from Apertura Now, this isn't close to the stadium. Mm -mm. This is crazy. It's not even close to the stadium. And at some point, you will see a vehicle try to run people off the road. I repeat... There. It is a football game. Football is the most important thing of things that are not important. Now, Harry, it's important to remind everyone most of these fights don't have to do with the sport itself. Nothing. Nothing to do with the sport. And this was San Luis Querétaro. Uh, now, yeah. they, they are rivals, right? I mean, I've been, I've been to that rivalry many times, and it's always a high-risk game. This was, uh, it was sad to see because it happened, uh, happened in my hometown. San Luis Querétaro there from Apertura 2019. Cristina Alexandra of ESPN Deportes joins us next here on Football America. She was actually uh, at that match and in a little bit, Cristina, I would love to get your, your perspective on that. But first things first, I'm just kind of curious, uh, you anchor SportsCenter on ESPN Deportes, just how big of a story is this in Mexico and how are you guys covering it? Hi, guys. It's great to be here on Football Americas. Happy to be here. Sad it's for this particular reason. It's the biggest story, Sebi and uh, Mao and Herc. You guys know what this means, again, because we have to talk about this one more time. And with all those incidents that, we, that you guys just reviewed on here is why this is still such a big story, because it keeps happening. And the question is why this keeps happening and what you guys were talking about with all of these kind of previous incidents why are we still seeing these kind of images? I honestly saw the images and remembered uh, that last game that, that you guys were talking about. Um, but it's being called the darkest day in Mexican soccer history. And that's something that I think reflects perfectly uh, with these images and what you guys were talking about. Now, Cristina, uh, we've talked about Mikel Arriola, Liga MX president, uh, Gallo's ownership, Barras, Ultras, but who is the media really focusing on right now? Mikel Arriola. I mm. think that's where everybody is looking towards. The pressure is on him because he's the one that can really put his foot down, really take advantage of the situation. Yeah, the owners can maybe talk about their perspective. Yeah, maybe they can talk about, you know, really uh, disappearing this Querétaro team, which would uh, also be just a large hit with what you guys were talking about. But I think mainly Mikel Arriola, I think the big question is, 
Why is the ban for this season only for the Querétaro Stadium and for the visiting ultras? Why are we still talking about local ultras? Because I've had time to think about it because it's been so chaotic the last 36 hours and wondering why we only have uh, 15 warrants out for arrest as well, which is um, another conversation if you guys want to talk about that. But I'm asking, you know, why we're still talking about local ultras as well. Because as you guys know, that's not going to stop the violence. We can talk about a Rayados Tigres game. And if they're playing at Universitario, we can talk about the Rayados fans waiting right outside that stadium just to have that same fight that they were going to have inside the stadium and all of these other scenarios as well. Maybe we're going to, you know, uh, talk about Atlas trying to get re- revenge and, and I'm not I'm not trying to get ahead of myself or, or think that that's going to happen because I really don't want that to happen. But I don't think that's going to necessarily stop these kind of violent situations. Mikel Arriola has a responsibility. And, you know, we have to be really serious about this. It's a life or death situation. And like you, you guys said as well, we have to draw the line at violence just because nobody died. And that's what the reports that we're seeing doesn't mean that this is something that urgently needs to stop now for once, once and for all. And Mika Arriola knows that he has the power to at least help take the proper steps to stop this. Christina, I couldn't help watching those images on social media and feel a pit in my stomach, just like a, a very hollow feeling. I'm sure the guys next to me felt the same way. You've actually been in that situation. You've been field level as a field reporter, San Luis versus Querétaro, the last time this happened. What was that experience like for you? Um, it was terrible. It was unexpected. And I honestly didn't ever think that I was going to be in that kind of situation. Obviously, you think about it, you've seen images. Um, Kirk, you know what, what it means to have a Clásico. Um, but before we were going to start this game, I had the comisario uh, come up to me and talk to me through the steps of the security and if something happened. But he was very casual about it, saying, like, I don't think anything's going to happen. But, you know, kind of saying, like, legally, he has to tell me uh, what steps I should take if something were to happen. I had an extra security guard with me, which hadn't happened for any of the other games. Um, it was obviously rated as a triple A match, which is uh, rated as a high risk game. So I kind of had heard about what this Clásico was with San Luis and Querétaro. Um, and it kind of just happened out of nowhere, to be completely honest. I mean, as a field reporter, you have to focus on what's happening in the field. Um, so I was focusing on, you know, the plays, if the player was down, etc. And uh, all of a sudden, I saw a girl being passed by from, uh, you know, uh, on a stretcher. And I, I looked away um, respectfully because I thought maybe, you know, she's having, I don't know, an epileptic episode. And then all of a sudden I hear Roberto Mesunco and Jorge Pietrasanta, commentator and analyst at the stadium with me that day, talk about what was going on um, actually in the section right, right to my left. And I started seeing a brawl. And the thing is, Herc, you talked about this pit in your stomach. I got that same pit in my stomach um, when I saw these images because it was play by play exactly what I saw Mm. of Querétaro fans running from one part of the stadium to the other and San Luis fans as well. I mean, they looked like little ants just finding each other. All of a sudden, I felt a push behind me and I looked around and there were so many people on the field, you know, to help with evacuation situations, Um, was pulled to uh, the locker rooms, which is what they had told me. You're going to go here. You're going to be in the locker rooms if anything were to happen. Of course, I didn't expect to be there. Um, And, you know, as a journalist doing my job, I had to kind of keep my cool on air. Uh, but at dinner, I was shaking. I was shaking. My dad was like, I can't get a hold of you. So it's it's definitely a, a very impactful situation. And of course, you know, if I were ever to cover a, another San Luis Querétaro game, I would definitely have that same fear. It's awful. Christina, scenes we hope to never see again. But as you tell us, scenes that are unfortunately all too familiar to those uh, who love yep. Mexican soccer. All right, there she is, Christina Alexander of ESPN Deportes. Thanks so much for joining us here on Football Americas. Thanks, guys. All right, gentlemen, then just a a few seconds left here. Um, We have covered a lot of ground. Any final thoughts? Herc, I'll start with you. Just sadness, you know, impotencia, like impotence. Just frustrated, you know. Part of me feels ashamed. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, 
I feel like a representative of Liga MX, like an ambassador to it on this side of the states. And these images aren't a representation of its people. And that to me is frustrating. I said on Aura uh, Onunca earlier today that sometimes when we talk about sports, that's what we do. That's our job. Um, sometimes things happen in the world, yeah. right? And we are this outlet for everyone else. The world has a lot of features. You can come to us and we'll talk sports and we'll have fun. The moment we become the news, we as a sports industry, we, we become the news because of things like that. It's heartbreaking. Uh, breaking. I just don't have another way to put it. And being Mexican-born and uh, knowing what happens in Mexico nowadays in terms of society, we always thought that sports was that outlet yeah. that was going to be shielded from those situations. And to realize, to come to that realization that sports now also are a part of that is very sad. But again, I'm trying to stay positive and feel that we're going to be able to go back to the stadiums have fun and understand that's our safe place because right now it's not. Yeah. A sad day and a dark chapter for Mexican football, and we will continue to cover it uh, here on Football Americas in the coming shows, coming weeks, and the coming months. From Mauricio Pedrosa, Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Thanks for watching us, and we will see you back here on Thursday for another edition of the show on ESPN+. Plus.